Good morning. So good to be here today, and especially uh, nice to be here at the same time as Haul and to see Alan uh, up on the, the screen there. We were really close with um, both of them while serving in Brazil. Um, so my name's Jeff. My wife Amy and our other kids are out in the crowd dispersed somewhere. Um, but we, uh, we are, I'm from Bainbridge, um, grew up at Grace Church. Uh, I originally started thinking of missions, becoming a missionary through the missions conferences here at Grace Church. And then my dad ended up going to Russia. And um, I was just uh, really continuously thinking about, you know, is that something that God could, could have for me? Um, and so, as they mentioned earlier, um, Amy and I, shortly after we were married, we served in Brazil with a campus ministry um, on one of the major college campuses in Brazil. We served there for eight years, and God really did a great work there. We were um, primarily involved with evangelism and discipleship, um, but while we were there, we saw the need to partner with the local church. Um, that should be a given but granted, I was like 23 years old when I went, so I was a little slow to understand, you know. But we really saw that uh, how it's incomplete um, without the local church. And um, we have, have been back in the um, United States for a while after serving there, serving in the local church first here, and then we moved to Milledgeville. And then in 2018, we got invited to come back to Brazil and lead a marriage retreat. Um, and really, before we went, I know that Amy and I were already considering, like, what's God doing here? Um, I had not been back, and I was really eager to go back. And, but while we were there, um, God really placed it on our heart to, to return and serve, um, really shepherd, sharing in the load of shepherding in the church. And our vision um, for going back, and as we've been talking with the pastor there in Brazil, is really just to come alongside them and to encourage and build up the national leadership um, as Campus Outreach is now led by a Brazilian. The church is a Brazilian pastor, and they both recently uh, assumed those positions in the last year. And so to come alongside them and support them, and as the church grows to maturity, that it could really play a role um, similar to Grace Church in Brazil, that it would not only care for itself, but it would have its eyes out on the world as well. And you can see it's already begun. I mean, with Howell serving Auburn, Alain, and Manchester. Um, but really, we Brazil is just, um, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. And we, we need churches, we need laborers originating you know, from that church, being sent out, not only to the college campuses, but... Um, elsewhere as well. And so, but today, um, what I really want to talk about is uh, how we often separate ourselves out from the idea of missions. How we think of this as something that's exclusive, that is, that is occupied by a small few. And I really want to take our time today to remove any barriers that might exist to thinking about yourself and when we talk about missions. Um, it's interesting when you think about the word um, mission, 
it, um, it originated pretty early on, but it peaked. You can look on, um, sorry, I'm a little bit of a nerd. I was a librarian for a while. And so on the, the in, Google Ingram shows you when the use of a word, how it fluctuated over the years and when it peaked and when it dipped. And so in 1840, the word mission, missionary, really began to peak. And that was about the time um, that David Livingstone was going over to the jungles of, of Africa. And so we really just take those two things and we buy in so often to that stereotypical view of that it's something that is very um, exclusive and it is very exotic, this idea of, of missionary. But we need to break that down and we need to see that it is something, um, it's something for all of us. And, you know, it's easy for me to say those things because I, that is what I see here at Grace Church. I see a church that at the individual level are already involved in, in missions. Um, but I have a special heart for those, the, those that are uh, the young folks that are here today because I was in your seat as well. And it was through moments like this in the church when I began to, to wonder about missions and how God might could use me. Um, and so I want to look today, at, we're going to be looking at John um, chapter 4. Uh, but before we do, I want to talk about um, the big idea, and that is the idea of the missionary as witness. Okay, um, So I was called to, be, to serve as a witness in a court case a few years back. And um, it was out of the blue. I got the call, and they wanted me to serve in a, a custody battle case um, as a witness. And I was scared to death. I was like, no way do I want to do anything like this. Why in the world are you asking me to do something? Um, I was th thinking, you need somebody that is a professional, that, could, that works with this, that could really give, um, could say something meaningful, not me. Um, I was coming in as a um, volunteer basketball coach. That was, why, that was why I was asked to do it. And, but the whole time I was expecting that it needed to be someone that had greater qualifications than me. And y'all can see where I'm going with this, right? But even on the day I arrived there, I was like, where is the lawyer? Don't you have to like feed the, you know, the person who's given testimony, the, the questions beforehand? And no one talked to me. And you know, I, I felt so under, unprepared. But in the end, all they were asking me to do was to give testimony as an eyewitness, you know, eyewitness account. Like, what, what did you see? How did you relate to them? You know, that's what they wanted to know. That was what, what was meaningful in that situation. And I think a lot of times we get caught up in uh, what does it mean to be a professional or what are the qualifications? You know, those are the type of things that enable me in order to to serve as what would be a missionary. But what I want us to look at is that the missionary is really a testimony. It's really a, a witness. And we're going to see that in John 4 today. Um, I'm going to, I think mo most of us are familiar with the story of the woman at the well. And so I'm going to summarize it really quickly. And we're going to start at the end um, when we're in our reading. But, you know, John 4 tells the story of Jesus. He's on a journey and he decides to stop in Samaria. We know that this is not by mistake. He times it, arrives at Jacob's well. Before the woman would get there, he asks her for a drink. Now, interestingly, the woman 
um, is going to the well at the hottest part of the day. And the reason she's going at this part of the day is because of, really because of her life. Her lifestyle excluded her from the community from going with the other women. Um, and so she had to go at this part of the day to be, and she was excluded, separated out, and Jesus meets her at that point. And so he begins to talk with her. Um, he, he, probably the famous line in that is that he says to her, um, to go and call your husband. And she, he, she says, I don't have one. He's like, you're telling, that's true. You had five and the one you have now is not your husband. Right? And then she starts, she changes the subject and begins to talk about, oh, do we worship in Jerusalem or do we worship in Samaria? Which one's the truth? And Jesus pushes back in at a heart level again. He says, the Father is ser- searching for worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. And and she says, I know when the Messiah comes, he'll explain all this to us. And he was like, I am he. And so um, the disciples arrive at that moment, and she leaves at that moment. And that's where we're going to uh, start our reading today. So John 4, and we're going to look at um, verse uh, 23. Jesus says, But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For their Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that He was talking with a woman. But no one said, What do you seek? Or, Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So look at the, just this one phrase here where it says, um, A man who told me all that I ever did. Isn't it interesting that this woman, the, the point that drove her out and to seek out this water um, apart from the community was her sin or her neediness, um, which was revealed in her uh, multiple marriages that she had. It was her neediness that drove her out. And then when she, but she goes back in to the town, and what does she speak of? She speaks of that very thing. She says, This man told me all that I ever did. And I'm fascinated by that, that she at a moment of such exposure for herself, would go in back into the town and speak of those things. Where do you think her five husbands lived? It's likely right there in the town. She goes right back into the thick of it and says, this man told me all that I ever did. She didn't need to spill in the blanks, I'm sure, that they knew what what she meant by that. And the reason I bring that up is because it's the testimony of the broken that's visible and effective, right? The first, Jesus often said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Well, the first, the Pharisees, were often contending with Jesus and the religious leaders. They were indignant that he was eating with sinners, right? And, but Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Um, and the, the Samaritan woman, she was full of worship that's what led her back in she was amazed that this man 
you know, why are you talking with me? That he would reveal himself as the Messiah, the Messiah to her. In Matthew Henry, he said, how God is sometimes pleased to use very weak and unlikely instruments for the beginning and carrying on of a good work. See how good it is to speak experimentally of Christ and the things of God. This woman could say little of Christ, but what she did say, she spoke feelingly. He told me all that I ever did. Those are most likely to do good that can tell what God has done for their souls. You know, we hold this treasure in jars of clay, right? And the, so that others can see themselves in us. If we hide all of our brokenness, others cannot see, identify with us. They, can't, they feel their need. They can't see how our need is met, right? But when we speak out of our brokenness, then they can identify with us. They can see the treasure, right? Because we are in, in testifying of our brokenness. We're testifying to Christ and not ourselves. And, you know, we get so caught up sometimes. I speak firsthand. This is me speaking about myself. I get so caught up in my methods, in my words. Even today, it's easy for me to get up on stage and think about myself too much. Like, we get caught up in our, our methods, our words, when really... We forget to speak of what we know, to speak of what we have, how we have experienced Christ, and to merge with that overflow. Um, you know, really, a lot of this is about our identity. Um, you know, that what, what is it that we value about ourselves? And how is it that we hope to be perceived by others, right? And, and whenever um, I'm with, you know, new people or something, I'll often lead out with something that I think is important or that makes me significant. And we just naturally hide anything about our own brokenness, right? And, and yet here we can see that this woman went and told of her neediness. Um, the second point I want to make is just that you know, as a witness, it's important, important that you point back to the scene, right? You know, that you want to, to that's where you want to give your attention. Um, and you want to give account of where and when you understood the good news. And that's what the, the woman was doing, was she was giving account, pointing back to the scene of, of how and when she began to understand the good news. And, you know, and for us, that should be ongoing, Right, just, just as it says in Colossians 2, 8, 9, you know, just as you received him, so continue to walk in him. So, you know, as we've received the good news and continue to walk in it, you know, many of us here have been walking with Christ um, for a long time, right? And we can still speak of our neediness, our brokenness, because it has continued to be revealed and comforted as we go on with Christ. Um, in back to the text in verse 28, it says, so the woman left her water jar. That's very, very interesting. That was the, the big task that she was doing. It was the, the reason she had to leave. And it was just a daily thing that she had to do. And it was not easy. And yet she sets it aside. She doesn't say, oh, I'm going to take it. Well, if I'm going to go back, I might as well carry the jar with me, you know, not to waste the trip. No, like she leaves it. She leaves the jar and she heads back into town. And, you know, really, um, she couldn't wait. She, she was not going to be hindered 
by this by the task, you know. And so I would say, you know, as us when we consider mission uh, missions as a witness, to not wait. Um, how many of you are given to a good bit of introspection or you know overthinking decisions or things you're going to say? And I think about how many opportunities that I have missed by overthinking it, right? By, by considering, like, you know, when I was working in the library um, at, in Milledgeville, I wanted to share my faith with my coworkers. And I would run through a full conversation in my head before I'd even said anything or even knew how they were going to respond. And so often I just exclude myself. I, I remove myself as a witness because I wait. I sit on it. You know, I may really, you know, sense God is at work. He is, you know, um, I'm learning something. I'm excited. I'm, I'm seeing the good news of Christ. And yet I, I wait. I don't speak, you know, and, and I miss, uh, miss an opportunity. Um, you know, and, and when we're serving as a witness, the amount of time that elapses between the event and the moment the testimony is given is so important. Right, you want to find a witness who can give the clo- the smallest gap, gap there, and so we want to speak experimentally, as Matthew Henry said, of Christ and His work in us. We want to speak, be quick to give, to give, um, to bear witness of that. Um, you know, and and but and as she went, you know, she didn't wait. She sat down her jar. You know, it. it look at her testimony. What she said. She said. Can this be the Christ? That's what she uh, spoke to the people. And so when we're giving witness, we want to start with what's important. Um, you know, there's, a, there's an, uh, I don't know if I'm using this term right, but uh, order of magnitude, some of y'all know, like uh, in our testimony. And, but really just what I mean by that is, you know, there's different parts of our testimony, but some are more significant than others. And I think that a big uh, a lie, you know, just like Stephen was sharing earlier, um, a lie that creeps in is to f- put the focus on ourselves, right? When really we need to start with Christ and what He has done in us. And, and our boldness that we, sh- we draw on is because we're testifying to Christ and not ourselves. Um, you know, when I was first in, in Brazil, uh, like Howell said, I was working with engineering students. And those guys were so analytical. They were not your typical Brazilians. They weren't the, you know, so much of Brazil is about feeling and passion. And they were engineers. They were analytical. And they peppered me with questions, right? It was it just, they needed to know, you know, down the, the science behind it. And, um, and at first, you know, I was a young missionary. I felt like I had to answer everything that they asked me. I had to have something to say. And I would go back and pour over, reading all these different things, which, which was great, but it was disingenuous, right? When I began to see what was going on, and I began to say, you know what? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It, I saw how much it created that, a bond between us. They began to see themselves in me, and so I could point to Christ, and then I could point the way ahead and say, hey, let's go forward together. And let's figure this out together. And really, that is the um, humility that was lacking in me, right? And it made it the emphasis about me instead of about Christ. And so we need to start with what is important. And then we can move ahead um, with, together. 
in it. Um, I have a, uh, so Amy and I originally, we were planning on moving to Brazil in August, um, but y'all know some other things happened this year, and so <laughs> some plans got changed, and so Campus Outreach came back and said, what do you think about moving to Birmingham for the time being until things clear up? We've got eight young missionaries, um, similar to what stage you were in. They're all getting ready to go. We had one to New, two to New Zealand, five to South Africa, one um, was going Philippines and uh, us to Brazil and somebody else to Brazil. Yeah, that's right. Um, so we went with them and have been ministering in Birmingham in the time being. And one guy, Connor, um, he's a great guy. Long blonde hair, um, been living in Colorado for a good while, so he has really taken that on. But he, we've been doing apartment ministry. And, um, and so we go ask people if we can pray for them and um, with six feet of distance and you know, pray for them. And then come back and say, I'd love to check back in with you and see how you're doing. Well, most people say no, like no, <laughs> you know, they don't open their door. But he, one lady responded, um, 30-something-year-old lady, Here's, he's this young guy, and, you know, he just started, he didn't have much in common, he just started with Christ, and now um, Amy and I have been going to the Bible study with him, they've been studying the Bible together, um, you know, now since, for the last uh, couple months, and, you know, she's not a believer, but she's willing to go and read, um, read the Word together, and so it's really important that we not get hung up with, well, can I, you know, what do I have in common? Or what about thinking about ourselves? And start uh, with Christ. Start with what is, is important. Um, you know, in that, when we think about Jesus um, in this passage and what he was really serving two purposes. You know, the disciples arrived on the scene um, after she leaves. And so he's not only ministering to the woman, but he's also teaching his disciples. And so I think it's important to, uh, to catch that part as well. In verse 34, Jesus says, they ask him, you know, eat something. They went to go get something to eat. And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You know, um, mission really comes from the word sent. You know, and so Jesus says, you know, I was sent to do the work um, that, that God is doing, really. And, you know, our mission, as we share in it, should move us towards others and not away from others. I know that seems very obvious, but so much in this world is telling us to move away from others when our mission should move us towards them. And, you know, it should move us away, the good news should move us away from our old identity and should move us uh, to where we have more in common with, with one another. You know, in Matthew 9, 35, um, famous text, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So compassion and the harvest go hand in hand. Compassion and good news go hand in hand. So our response, if we're speaking as a witness, we are speaking of the good news, 
that should lead us out in compassion. Um, you know, we have now a new identity in Christ that has taken away the old identity. You know, for me, I can think about um, when I was young, uh, I was searching for something to define who I was. And one of the things that I latched onto, and this is an understatement to say I latched onto it, was basketball. And it just meant so much to me. If you walked into my room, I had a cut out any basketball picture I could find in Sports Illustrated. I'm sure Susu loved it. I taped it to my wall, right on the old wallpaper, and had like a, a shrine to basketball in my room, you know. And it was just what, it was what def I wanted that to define me. And so when I went to tryouts, because that was my identity, I saw everyone there as a threat, right? Because they were threatening the thing that defined me. But when we are redefined in Christ, when we have a new identity as one who is forgiven, one who is redeemed, how can someone that you meet be a threat to you? Well, how can they threaten your new identity in Christ? You know, when I'm at work, I can be someone, when I was working at Georgia College, I can be humble or like I can, I don't have to attach myself to my work, you know, because that's not what defines me. My life is bigger than that now. You know, and so um, we have so many things that we try to, that we naturally define ourselves by. And as we define ourselves by the significance of our work, by our political affiliations, by our ethnicity, by our um, social status, if that is what defines you, then you will live as us and them. It will, your, your camp will get smaller and smaller when, when we live that way. And I say that because I feel that tug continuously to go back to those things. But the, the good news moves us away from that identity and towards, towards compassion. So as a witness, don't make it about us versus them. Um, you know, remember uh, in Ephesians 2, it says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. You know, the woman was amazed that Jesus came up and spoke to her. Um, you know, she, her identity was one who was separate from Christ, separate from the community. Um, and, you know, Jesus comes up to her and, and speaks to her. Um, and that was really an example of that hostility being taken taken away. And so we need to not live as us versus them. And that is should the church should be a picture of the removal of that hostility. You know, in Zechariah, I was reading recently in Zechariah and there's a um it's prophetic, um it's real similar to Revelation as you can see the work going on um behind the scenes and there's a moment where there's a man going with a tape measure, which I thought was very interesting, and he's going to measure Jerusalem. So he's going there, and he wants to see how wide and how long it is. And there's two um, angels on the scene that goes up to him and says, um, and stops him before he can do it. And um, in Zechariah 2, 4, and I'm going to read 4 and 11, it says, Run, one angel says to the other, Run, say to that young man 
Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord. And I will be the glory in her midst. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Um, the, the message translation says, Jerusalem um, will burst its walls. You know, and here it says it will be like a village without walls because you can't contain it. And why? Why is that? Because it says many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day. So we, we, it is the Lord's work to join in the many nations, to take away the hostility. And it is our new identity in Christ that allows us to, to show compassion. Um, we were in South Africa many years ago, and we had taken a team of Brazilians there uh, to do a short-term missions trip on the college campus. And it was week one, I think. And um, so we were clueless. We didn't know what we were doing. And so we decided, let's show a movie at our house. Um, it was a very lar- large place because we were all staying there. So let's show a movie at our house. We'll invite the people we've met this week uh, to come over. We had two vans. And so we set a time to pick them up. And we drove up. I was a driver, and Zay Flavio was a driver. So we pull up, and there's a couple people there. But as the van pulls up, more come out. And so we load the van. Um, over capacity, and then they pull off to the house, and then I pull up to see if any more people would come. So I sit there for a minute, and more came out. I loaded the van. I went back, and so I'm talk- texting Zay. It's like, hey, go back. I filled up my van. There may be more. So we do this six van loads later, all over capacity. We have over 100 people in our house, <laughs> and I just saw the Brazilians who are naturally very outgoing. They were all in the kitchen like, oh my gosh, what do we do? <laughs> like, there are so many people in our house. And similarly, we see here that, hey, don't try to measure this. This is going to be like a village without walls. It, the walls are going to burst if we try to contain all these people because many nations shall join themselves in that day to the Lord. And so that, we are uniquely positioned to be witnesses to the many nations because what is our identity? Our identity is in Christ. You know, when Peter was speaking uh, shortly after Pentecost, now here he is in Jerusalem speaking and even a, in uh, accusing about the, the death of Christ. It's very, very recent. And the people say, what should we do? He doesn't condemn them. He says to them, he said, repent. The promise is for you. Right? He says, the promise is for you. His message was one of Jesus makes a way into the kingdom. I'm not here to tell you that you don't have a way in. He says, our te- witness is Jesus forgave. He has the words of life. And he makes a way for you, for you to come in. But we know this might be the, one of the bigger challenges for us. Um, Paul Hebert, I guess is his name. He writes, as fallen humans, we naturally distinguish between us made up of those who are the same kind of people as ourselves and others who are not our kind of people. You know, we are Jews, you are Samaritans. We are men, you are women. We worship here, you worship there. Um, we make our identity about something other than Christ and therefore we, uh, we are different than, than others. Um, you know, like I mentioned in John, uh, in chapter 4, verse 9, it says, 
How is it that you, a Jew, the woman asked, asked for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I think um, in some, some of the versions it says that they won't use the dishes that the Samaritans use. They, they won't use the same dishes. And so this was like a, a shock to her. You know, and so just that's the, the big idea is, is that we can break down any dividing wall because we are bearing witness to Christ. So at this point, it's important as well that we don't get overwhelmed, right? We need to relax because we are not alone in the work that we are doing. We are not alone. We are co-workers now. Um, you know, Jesus was at work doing the same work of the Father. Um, he said in chapter 5, soon after, he says, My Father is working until now, and I am working. And what was the work? It was seeking and saving, uh, saving the lost. That's clear with the Samaritan woman. But she was not only the lost, but she was the sent as well. And that is the same, the same for us. Um, John 20, 21, I'm just going to read a couple of these. Even so, I am sending you. That's what Jesus said. Um, he's, and then in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, it says, For we are God's fellow workers. So, um, and then in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Um, I got a stark reminder of this when we were first in Brazil. Um, they are uh, very politically minded on the college campuses there, and so I went to a um, protest about some American foreign policy, um, and you know it was it was very challenging for me, you know, because my immediate reaction is to be defensive, right? But I have a primary identity in Christ. I'm a, I am an ambassador of Christ in Brazil, right? I'm not an ambassador for um, the Dowdies or, you know, or of, you know, even a, a lot of people ask me about, you know, when you're traveling away, what is it like in Bainbridge, Georgia? You know, they, they have all... The people we're working with, you know, they're from all over. And so, but I'm primarily an ambassador of Christ. And look at it, it says, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what qualifies you as an ambassador? It is that you were reconciled. What is your ministry? Your ministry is one of reconciliation. And, you know, he is making his appeal through us. God making his appeal through us. So we are his fellow workers. We are working together. You know, uh, Jesus said, My Father is working into now, until now, and I am working. So as we enter this work, we're sharing in the work of the Father. This is not my work. This is not your work. We are sharing in the work of the Father. Um, but there is work to do. There is, there is yet work to do. And... There's work to be done, and there's work uh, being done. I love the, the phrase that God is on the move. Like that we pray, we pray about, God, you go before us. So when we come along, that we will see your work and we can join you in, in your work. You know, um, verse 38, when he's talking uh, with the disciples, it says, I sent you to reap for, uh, for which you did not labor. Um, you know, he was reiterating to them that there is a, 
we are co-workers. There is work to do, but it is a shared, a shared work. Um, going back to Matthew Henry again, uh, speaking of the Samaritan woman, he said, Christ had told her to call her husband, which she thought was worn enough to call everybody. She went into the city, the city where she dwelt, among her kinsfolk and acquaintance. Though every man is my neighbor that I have opportunity of doing good to, yet I have most opportunity, and therefore rely under the greatest obligations to, to do good to those that live near me. Where the tree falls, there let it be made useful. I thought that was uh, really interesting. Where the tree falls, there let it be made useful. What does that mean? It means that where is our opportunity? Our opportunity is in our home, like right with our children, to be a witness to our children. Our opportunity is right where we are. She went back to her town. You know, Acts 1, um, 8 says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so where does it start? It started in Jerusalem. She started in Sikar, where she was from. And so there's work to do, and there's work being done, and we start where we are. Finally, um, you know, we are to celebrate together. You know, it says there that um, the sower and the reaper rejoice together. So that sower and reaper may rejoice together. You know, and that's a lot bigger than um, we have to stop for a second and think about how big that statement is. Because what he is pointing to is that from the prophets to John the Baptist to Jesus to now the Holy Spirit in us, that the sower and reaper celebrate together. You know, he was in Samaria at this point, and this only later after the, the disciples are scattered because of the persecution that Philip thinks to go back to Samaria. And so he was sharing, sowing and reaping, reaping where Jesus had already sown, right? And so when we enter into a conversation when we are talking with our own children in our home, we are reaping what has been sown by the Holy Spirit, right? We, if we thought it was all up to us, <laughs> we would be crushed, right? And when we go to speak at work or uh, at the ball field or anywhere like that, we are reaping where the Lord is sowing, or we may be sowing, continuing to sow where someone else um, may, may reap. Uh, and so the sower and reaper may rejoice together. And, you know, even now, what we're doing today is a celebration together, right? Because you, uh, this church, you know, so to seed and me, um, you know, I was able to go in, into Brazil where others had sown and able to both sow and reap. And now we can share in what's going on at Auburn where the gospel is going forth. We can read about Alan in Manchester where the gospel is going forth. And, you know, and now uh, being able to go back, it is, it is a celebration. And as we celebrate with you, um, like I'm so thankful for so many people that I don't know <laughs> that are here because the gospel continues to bear fruit here at this, at this church. right? And we would not be going um, if it weren't for those of you that have uh, even sowed financially in us, right? They're able to send us to devote exclusively to this work. And so um, I have a, a final uh, picture here. Um, 
I wanted to, to show of, of our group that was in with us in Birmingham. And so, um, you know, we are all about to go. We're going in December. Many of them are going in January. And we are going out as laborers, it's true. And, but I just wanted to point uh, one last thing out, is that our discipleship um, is about multiplication, right? We are not supposed to continually be the one, being the ones doing the work, but we entrust others to do the work. And our discipleship is all, also about bearing witness. Like, that is the heart of, of discipleship, is that we would bear witness. You know, those are most likely to do good that can tell what God has done for their souls. So I just encourage you to continue to devotionally pursue the Lord. And that is what you have to give um, to give to others. And I encourage you to empower others, encourage others, like, hey, you can speak of what you know of Christ, right? Um, this woman, like Matthew Henry said, this woman could say little of Christ, but she could speak enough to point the way to Christ. She could say, come and see, right? And that's what we can do as well. And in our discipleship of others, like our role is to encourage and come alongside them so that they can take courage to, to go out and speak. And there are diverse gifts. There are degrees of maturity. But we begin as a witness and should continue as a witness speaking experimentally of Christ. And so that's really uh, our, my prayer for Grace Church and really what I ask of you as well to pray for us as we go. We have 18 days, I think. That's a little overwhelming to say out loud. Um, so we have 18 days, and just ask that you would pray for us that we could be uh, witnesses and that we could point others to Christ and that, you know, that I could, we could, Amy and I could come alongside Raphael, the new pastor, and his wife and, and give them courage to, to strengthen them in their faith to continue on uh, in the work just as you're doing here as well. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll continue in worship. Father, thank you that what we can bear witness to is your goodness. God, that you so loved us that you sent your only Son to die, that, we, that those that believe in him should, should live, not perish, but have everlasting life, Father. God, that we, just as we've received Christ, we can continue to, to walk in him. And I pray now, even confessionally, God, that we could set aside any uh, old identity. We could set aside the old man and, God, that we could take up the new. That I am now adopted into the kingdom. I, the way has been made, way, made clear by Christ and his sacrifice. God, thank you that you have graciously called us into this work to bear witness of you and your work in our life, Lord. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you.